0: Joshua chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, a good title for this particular chapter would be What Not to Do After a Great Victory. We're going to pick it up in Joshua chapter 6, there in verse 27, but I'm going to ask that we go to the Lord one more time in prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear his word. Father, I ask now that as we change gears a little bit, as we're living in a world that has turned upside down overnight, that you would allow our minds, our hearts to focus on your word because we don't want to make the mistake that Joshua made. We want to follow you faithfully. Give us the grace, Lord, to be able to learn, to grow. And Father, tonight especially, we pray for the country of Ukraine. We ask, Lord, that not one more person would die. We pray, Lord, that you would awaken your church to realize the end is near. Come, Jesus, come. I pray, Father, that you would give us the grace and the passion as we see the birth pains increasing in this generation more than any generation I've seen to share the gospel and to live a life that honors you. We pray for the nation of Russia. We ask, Lord, that you would intervene and you would stop this aggression. We know that you're able. We'll trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. In order to begin chapter 7, we've got to begin in chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, let's look at the last verse, verse 27. So the Lord was, maybe you'll underline this, with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Joshua had just fought the battle of Jericho. But it was all God's idea. It was all God's plan. It was all God's strength. And in this process of fighting the battle of Jericho, there was a supernatural victory where after walking around the walls for seven days, the walls came tumbling down. You remember the song, if you were in Sunday school about 30 to 40 years ago, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came it was a supernatural victory. No military man would ever walk around the walls of Jericho. I mean, they were putting themselves in the place of getting shot by arrows or oil being poured upon them or stones at least being cast. But God told them how to do it. And Joshua did it exactly how God directed, depending on God with every step around that wall to keep them alive and safe. And the walls came down and Joshua, he became famous. Everyone looked at Joshua and said, wow, God is with Joshua. God is with Joshua. And let me tell you something. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? What a powerful word for this day. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, that's when God is with us. Now, I want you to take a look at chapter 7, verse 1, as we enter into this particular chapter, but... Now, that's a big but. And my, relax. (laughs) Whenever there's a but in Scripture, we've got to recognize that it compares one to the other. We've got to realize that it is saying, well, God was with Joshua in this particular area, but we're about to hear, but he wasn't with Joshua in another area. Because let me give you an understanding. There's one thing to say that if God is for us, who can be against us? But in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, the Bible says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All you have to do is look in the Old Testament and see the truth of it. Do you remember Exodus chapter 19? Pharaoh's entire army is swallowed up by the Red Sea. What a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let's just pick a book of the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 1. Two battalions get consumed by fire because they're trying to take on Elisha. Chapter 6. The entire Syrian army is blinded by God and Elisha leads them to another area. What about chapter 19 when God is against the Assyrians and 185,000 soldiers die overnight by one angel? One angel! Now, some of us, we go into spiritual warfare concerned. If one angel can wipe out 185,000 people, can I tell you that you've got nothing to worry about when it comes to the enemy? Because if God be for us, who can be against us? But it's a horrible, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And Israel's about to learn this lesson in the promised land. You see, Joshua is not about heaven. Joshua, for the new believer, for the New Testament believer, it's not about heaven because there's sin in Joshua. There's no sin in heaven. There's sorrow in Joshua. There's no sorrow in heaven. The promised land that he's speaking of is the promises that Jesus has for us today as we choose to live in them. And if God be for us, who can be against us but... We can make another choice. And it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And as we get to take a look and peers into this particular chapter, we get to learn from Joshua and the children of Israel. Now, the greatest thing that you can have and the greatest promise that you can have is the very fact that God is with us. He even describes how he was with us. Just follow his directions. Do you remember in Joshua chapter 1, God shows up to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he gives him some instructions. Listen, anywhere you put your foot, I'm going to bless you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if God gave you that promise? He has. He says, anywhere you put your foot, I'm going to bless you. You don't have to determine, well, what about this or what about this? Can you imagine? You go into work, you put your foot at work and God blesses the work that you do. You put your foot at school and God blesses the school, but there's a caveat. There's a warning. He says, just don't turn to the right or to the left. I'm going to bless you, Joshua, but don't turn to the right or to the left. Listen to what Jesus says. You're my friends if you do what I command you to do. You're my friends. You're in relationship with God when you follow my commands. When you don't turn to the right, when you don't turn to the left. You can experience, if God be for us, who can be against us, but you can also experience. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And God had given Joshua instructions just flip back a page. It's Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 18. Would you take a look? Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18. And you, by all means, here's the direction, abstain from the accursed things you take, um, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it abstain from the accursed things. God had made a clear direction to Joshua and all the children of Israel. Jericho and its contents belong to me. It's the first fruits. It's your first battle. And you've got to give your first fruits to the Lord. Like when we get our paycheck and we choose to give, we're honoring God with our first fruits. The very first dime that we give is to God. That was the concept. That's what he's trying to put into the children of Israel. And he says, don't touch what belongs to me. If you do, if you take, there's going to be trouble. Having that backdrop, let's pick it up in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. and Maybe you want to circle that word in your Bible regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Don't turn to the right or the left. Otherwise, you're going to bring trouble. I've asked you to circle the word. Would you take a look? The children of Israel committed a trespass. This is the sign that's put up on the property. Do not trespass. I uh, used to live in Montana, and I hunted Montana. And I'll never forget, there was a sign, do not trespass, And the biggest buck of my life was standing on the other side of it. And I thought, well, my rifle could hit it and I can shoot it. And then I will cross over into the territory. I'm coming up with all kinds of things in my mind of how, now we, we eat, please don't judge me. We eat all of the deer meat. We, we make sure that we save a lot of money by doing that. But I look at this deer on someone else's property and I'm now, I'm actually beginning to rationalize why it's so important for me to cross this line. I'm not going to finish the story. Yeah, I'm not going to finish it. Let's just say I turned to the left. And then I turned to the right. And I missed the deer, and the Lord taught me a very important lesson. A trespass is when you know you're not supposed to do something, and you do it anyway. They knew, do not take from the sacred things, because everything in Jericho belongs to me. I wish sometimes my spirit were Google Maps, because even when you take a wrong turn in Google Maps, it reminds you continually, reroute, 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 until you get back on track. But sometimes, how many of you, you take the left turn, and there's no ticker that's saying to you, reroute, reroute, reroute. Well, be careful if you're in that place because without conviction of the Holy Spirit you may have quenched him you may have taken so many wrong turns that now you've hardened your heart and you don't even hear the reroute of the Holy Spirit and him trying to get your attention and there was one man and his name was Achan and his name it means troubler now why would you name your child troubler there's enough trouble with toddlers that you would name your child the troubler But his name was the trouble. And Achan, he made the mistake of doing exactly what God told him not to do. And God says there's a trespass that has happened in Israel. Now take a look at the pronouns though. I want you to see something. But the children of Israel committed a trespass. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerub, the tribe of Judah, took of the cursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Well, wait a second. How is it that one man sinned, but God is mad at all, or God is angry at all of Israel? Because God knows what one man's sin can cause. Do you know false doctrine starts with one person believing a lie and communicating it? Do you know that more churches have been split because of one person's sin? I was a part of it at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. It was one person's sin, our senior pastor, that caused such grief for the entire church because that's what sin does. It radically affects a community, a congregation, a group of people, families of people. Imagine when a husband sins and commits adultery, the impact it has on the wife and the children. Understand the impact that sin has in our homes, much less our communities. And God knows that. And what the Bible does here in verse 1 is kind of give us the bottom line. It gives us the understanding of what the story is going to be about. And there's two things that we learn about God in this very first verse. Number one, God knows. Did you hear that? I want to let you know a theological principle that I'm sure all of you are aware of. God is omniscient. Turn with me to Psalm 139. I want you to see this. Psalm 139. Look at verse 1. I ask you to turn there. Let's pick it up. Psalm 139, O Lord you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know when I sit You know when I rise. You understand what I'm thinking. You comprehend when I'm about to lie down. You know everything of my ways. You even know what I'm going to speak before I speak it. There's nothing that's hidden from your sight. God, you're omniscient. You know everything. God knows what we have done, and God knows what we will do. In fact, take a look at me. God knows what you're doing right now. Now, stop there for a moment. God knows. There's nothing He doesn't know. You can't hide your sin from God. Now, you have to let that penetrate your heart for just a moment. Because God is expressing here in verse 1 the truth of the entire story in one verse because God knows. And the Bible is letting us know in this very first verse before the story is even given that God knows and God knew that Achan had committed a trespass. In the same way, can I say for our own personal lives, God knows what you're struggling with. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows the depths of our hearts. He knows when you lie down. He knows when you sit. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're about to say, what you're not about to say. God knows. But there's something else I want you to see in this very first verse. Number two, God gets angry. Now, I know peace, love, and happiness, Jesus, in the 21st century, but you've got to see something here in chapter 7, verse 1. God got angry with the nation of Israel. But I need to let you know some things about God's anger. First and foremost, it's a righteous anger, not a reactive anger. God just arbitrarily doesn't get mad because it's his preference. No, God is righteous, and everything that he gets mad about are things that oppose his righteousness. His anger is righteous, it's not reactive. It responds to opposition against him. In fact, the Bible says, be angry and don't sin. So there's an anger that God expresses that doesn't sin. Let me explain it in this way. When Othello and I were doing ministry in Liberia, my heart was angered that five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids were being used by warlords as little pawns in their little game called war. And I was furious that these kids were dying on the battlefield because they had no idea what they were fighting for. And I even got more mad when I met with a seven-year-old kid and he told me that he was fighting for five U.S. dollars and a pair of Levi jeans. Are you kidding me? You're sacrificing your life, and I was so mad about it, I did something. I went behind the lines, and I started rescuing kid after kid after kid, and we rescued 1,500 child soldiers. And now some of those child soldiers are pastors. Those child soldiers are fathers. Those child soldiers are husbands. They are leaders in the community because I was so angry I did something about it. Can I tell you? God was angry at sin. He was so angry at sin that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do something about it. God's anger is righteous, but God is slow to anger. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 86, verse 15, that God is slow to anger. He doesn't just pop off in a matter of moments and you do one thing and he's just mad and he's just angry no that's not the way of our God because he delights and he desires to give mercy now I know the enemy is probably condemning you right now as you're thinking about the sin that you're struggling with but I need you to stop for a second and hear what I just said he's slow to anger because he delights and desires to give mercy and what this story is about to do for us is reveal to us what made god angry let's pick it up in verse 2 now joshua sent men from jericho to ai which is beside bethaven on the east side of bethel so it's about 10 miles from jericho and joshua spoke to them saying go up and spy out the country so the men went up and spied out ai and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack I. Do not weary all the people for there, for the people of I are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai, And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabiram and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people, speaking about the hearts of the people of Israel, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. This whole story starts out wrong. This whole story doesn't start any way like the story did at Jericho. Oh, look back if you would. uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. Just flip a page and take a look. Joshua chapter 6. Let's pick it up there in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua... Now take a look at chapter 7, verse 2. Now Joshua sent men and go a little further, and Joshua spoke to them. Wait a second, did you anyone read? And the Lord spoke to Joshua? Did anyone see God telling Joshua what to do? Well, in chapter 6, the Lord said, but in chapter 7, Joshua said. Let me explain what happens. Ho ho ho. Did anyone see how the walls came down? I am the most happening general in all of Israel. (laughs) So, if it worked for us once and we had such great victory, I got this. I know what to do. (laughs) I'm just going to send the men on up to the next big city and we're going to go conquer it the same way that we beat Jericho. Oh, this victory has made me strong. It's made me famous. You go and you fight. You can almost hear the rerouting going on as I'm saying it. Reroute, Joshua. Reroute, Joshua. Reroute, Joshua. You see what happened? Joshua had one victory and now he's acting with his fame. I got this. I got this. I told the staff today, Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale was a church of 25,000 people. And as I come to Calvary Chapel South Bay, I could say, oh, I've done 25,000 people. I got the 10,000 at Calvary Chapel South Bay. I got this. I've done 25,000. I know how to do 10,000 at South Bay. I told the staff, what a shame if I ever said that. Because that would make me making the same mistake as Joshua. You see sometimes when we have a victory, like we've got a a successful concert, we start a concert ministry because, oh, well, concerts must be the new in thing. So we got to have a concert ministry. And I I don't understand the new worship thing where now I I, I know we used to like raise our hands like this, right? Like this was the way we raised our hands. And then it kind of went to this. Now you see all the worship videos and they're like flapping their hands like this. This is the new way to worship. And if you don't do it like the, like an eagle, then you're not really as popular as this person is, because she's a flapper, okay? (laughs) We tend to do this, don't we? We take a look at what's successful, and if it's successful, it must be for Calvary Chapel South Bay. But maybe it was just the way God wanted to work that time at Jericho. And Joshua Maybe you're building a tradition on a success that was just God's intention for that one particular area. We've got to be careful that we don't look at a past victory and forget God saying, I think I got that. Because the lesson of Jericho was not the walls coming down. The lesson of Jericho is that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Now let me tell you something about faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. Joshua heard God give him direction and God made Joshua dependent by walking around uh, those walls. And the lesson that God was trying to get across to Joshua was be directed by me and depend on me. But Joshua... Joshua got a little prideful. And we know what pride does, don't we? Pride comes before the fall. And a haughty spirit before destruction. If we walk around, I got this. (laughs) I've been doing children's ministry for 30 years. Don't tell me how to do children's ministry. We do it like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. We've sang that song for 30 years, and we're going to sing it again. And I don't know if you know the hand motions, okay? It's Jesus loves me, this I, I know, okay? And we do it just like this. For the Bible, okay, and actually it's Bible tells me so, okay? Little ones to him be, uh, be, okay, be strong. They are weak, but uh, we did that 30 years ago. Kids would look at you now and go, what are you doing? But that's the way I did it 30 years ago, and that's the way I'm going to do it now. (laughs) That's just how I do it. We don't use videos. (laughs) Why not? Why not? Just because it worked 30 years ago, why wouldn't we change today? Why wouldn't we want to cast a different fishing net? Let me tell you something. My grandfather was a fisherman. When the net broke, they threw it away. Or they repaired it and they bought a new one. And when the new nets came out... They bought the new, different kind of microfiber because it was a stronger net. You didn't say, well, I'm going to stick and do my same old nets the same old way that I did it. No, you just bought the new net. Church, we've got to be careful that we're not prideful about the victories of our past. But there's something else that we learned from Joshua. He was prayerless. He was prayerless not only was he prideful he was prayerless spies come back and say we got this thing joshua joshua's led it we got this thing now the spies are following his leadership we got this thing don't send everybody there's only three thousand people they're giving him wrong information in joshua chapter eight you can look it up later verse 25 we discover something There were 12,000 people. So they took 3,000. They're outnumbered three to one. They gave Joshua bad advice and Joshua swallowed it, hook, line, and sinker and sent his 3,000 army outnumbered at least three to one. Joshua, why didn't you pray? Why didn't you ask God if it was okay? Why didn't you take their counsel and then bring it to God and ask God, what is it that you want me to do? No, he chose the way of pride. He was prayerless when he went. And let me explain what pride and prayer will always lead to. It will always lead to fear. And that's exactly what happens. The people's hearts melted. Now, do you remember what Rahab told the spies? We've heard about you and all of Jericho, their hearts are melted. That's what we heard about right from Rahab in Joshua chapter two. But now it's not the people or the Canaanites whose hearts are melting. Now the Israelites' hearts are melting because they've been filled with pride and they're prayerless and it will always lead to fear. Even Joshua has a meltdown. Take a look at his prayer. Some of you will recognize like with me, we've prayed this prayer. Look at Joshua, what he says in verse six. Here's his meltdown. So Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face, Before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, he says. What shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Listen to how he's talking to God now in verse 9. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? Do you hear a meltdown? I hear my toddler having a tantrum. It hasn't gone my way and I don't like it. And Joshua asks three questions to God, but I need to let you know something about Jewish questions. They're actual statements. They're not questions. They're not expecting an answer. They're giving you information. And let me tell you what Joshua's first question is all about. I don't trust you. I wish we would have stayed on the other side instead of cross that Jordan River. You told us to cross the other side. I wish we would have been content on the other side. I don't trust you, God. And what am I going to say? This is your fault. He blames him in the very second question. This is your fault, God. And then he says, we look like fools. What am I going to say? You made me look like a fool. And then, in his third question, don't you know that your reputation depends on the children of Israel, God? Whoa, Joshua. Do you know you're talking to the living God? I've done this. I won't bore you with the whole story. But during the war, my wife and I were separated. I had to get into a canoe a dugout log, and go five days on the ocean to get my wife. One night we were out in the middle of a storm. It's our third night on the ocean. I'm hungry, sunburnt, and beat, and a storm comes on the ocean, and I'm on a stick in the middle of the ocean. It's like a big stick being tossed to and fro. We're bailing water. We're waves and wind and everything is coming into this boat. People are getting sick. I mean, it was just me, another guy, and five crew members, and we're on this canoe paddling, trying to get to my wife. I'm trying to rescue my wife. And I feel like everything gets. In fact, I feel like Jonah. I almost said at one point in the canoe ride, throw me over, I bet the storm will stop. Finally, I got so frustrated and felt like God wasn't listening to me, I went to the front of the canoe, and I put my hands up to God, and I said, God, I'm going to rescue my wife. If I die, this is going to make you look bad. I know this kind of prayer. See, Joshua doesn't know the whole story, so the very first thing he does is follow the second sin of the Bible Blame. God, it's your fault. Joshua, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know the rest of the story. But you've made me look like a fool. And what I love what Joshua does, two out of three questions, he says, Oh, Lord. Really? Really? Do you know what Lord means? Master. Do you know that servants... Never complain to a master. Oh, Lord. How many of us begin our prayers that way? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You see, he's calling him master, but I believe Joshua is using it like mister. He's just a title. It's just what you call God. You just call him Lord. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, oh, Lord. It's just, oh, Lord, here I am today. Oh, Lord, here I am today. Now, I'm going to do whatever I want today, but oh, Lord, here I am. We're going to talk. Oh, Lord, I, I, I know that you want me to live like this, but I'm going to choose to live like this. And I wonder if it's a title in our own personal lives or it is a truth of Scripture. You see, Joshua doesn't trust God. Joshua doesn't, he's blaming God. Joshua He says, you've made me look like a fool in walking by faith. This is not Joshua saying, oh, Lord, like you're my master. This is Joshua saying, oh, Lord, like you're my mister. This is just a title. And it's amazing to me how Joshua's dashed expectations make him turn on God like a light switch. I didn't get into the school I wanted. So, God, if I can't get in the school I want, I'm going to get drunk tonight, okay? Well, I didn't get the job I wanted. So you know what, God? <laughs> I'm, going go, I'm going to go gamble, okay? So if you won't give me money, then I'm going to go get it myself. Hey, God, you know what? I, wanted, I can't believe you didn't let me marry that woman. Now, I'm not speaking about the woman that you're currently married to. I'm talking about the woman before you got married to the woman that you're married to. Every husband, look at your wife right now and say, you are the one for me. I need to get back out of that one, okay? And it's amazing to me how quickly we turn on God when it doesn't go our way. But it amazes me that when we are faithless, God will remain faithful and he will use our failure to get us back on track. And there's one thing that Joshua is doing that I need to commend him for. At least he's praying. He's talking to God. He's pouring out his heart. At least he's talking to God. Do you know that God knows what you're thinking anyway? So when you say, oh Lord, but you're thinking, I can't believe you left me with this person. I mean, you know he knows that, what you're thinking? Now, I don't. Oh, when I see you out in the foyer, hey, pastor, great message. You walk out and tell you, I can't believe we had to listen to Chet again today. <laughs> great message, Pastor Chet. I don't know what you're thinking, but the Lord does. Some of you are wondering right now, is he ever going to stop? As far as I'm concerned, no. Now, you guys are laughing about that right now, but I know what's going on in your heart. No, I don't know what's going on in your heart, but God does. He does. He knows. He knows. And here is Joshua. At least he's pouring out his heart because what he's doing is he's fighting fear with faith. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4. You can write it down in your notes. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't be fearful about anything. But with everything, with prayer and supplication, present Your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will fill your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He's fighting fear with faith. He's going to God in prayer. And I want you to see how God answers. Take a look at verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Whoa. Why do you lie thus on your face? Why are you behaving like this, Joshua? That's what he says to him what are you doing here, Joshua? Why? Get up, Joshua. Let me tell you something. If you're going to go to God and pour out your heart, expect God to answer you back. Do you remember what he told Job when Job was complaining? Stand up and be a man because I'm about to answer you. You want to talk to me? Then I'm going to talk back to you. Do you remember Martha? Jesus? She's praying. She is praying. She's talking to Jesus. Jesus, have you seen my sister? Luke chapter 10, she is not doing a blessed thing to help me. And what did Jesus do? Oh, Martha, I am so sorry about that. Mary, get up right now and do what your sister is asking you to do. Because you know Jesus is always directed by whatever we say. He said, Martha, Martha, sweet sister, you are busy about everything, but Mary has chosen the better. And you'd be better forward if you'd be sitting down here and you wouldn't have this bad attitude. Now, I've added the Chetlow version to the whole <laughs> thing. So be careful when you're pouring out your heart to God and God speaks back to him and says, Get up. Now, take a look what he says in verse 11 Israel has sinned. He knows. They transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have bo- both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. I told you, God knows. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall uh, according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he's done a disgraceful thing in Israel. He was praying, and God spoke to him. And the amazing thing is, he was praying, like the verse says, until evening. God let him sit there. God let him remain in that prayer. And let me tell you why. Because remorse is vital for repentance. In James chapter 4, he says, Lament, mourn, weep, wail, turn your joy to mourning. He says, there is an important part of remorse in regards to repentance. And sometimes our hearts are so hard, it takes time to get there. When David sinned with Bathsheba, listen to what he says in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51, verse 8 says, Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. It takes six to eight weeks for a bone to mend. Time. And David knows that because he sat on his sin of adultery and murder for a long time. But there's a reason why the God of mercy allows time to settle. We see it in chapter 51 of the same psalm, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God allows time so that we get to a place of brokenness before him. It's a fearful thing to fall into his hands. The amazing thing to me about God is God allowed the mistake to happen. Do you know that God allows you to make mistakes? You've got a free will. You get to choose whether or not you will be, if God be for us, who can be against us, or you fall into the hands of a living God. You get to choose which route you get to go. You get to learn the lesson from Joshua and Achan. It's your decision, but do you know God will let you turn to the left? God will let you turn to the right. He will allow you to do it. And what he will do, he will discipline you because of your disobedience. And I'll tell you why. He uses your disobedience as an opportunity to train you, just like a good parent. Whenever my kids would make a mistake... It was an opportunity to discipline them because God was reminding me, you missed this part. So I'm exposing it so that you can deal with it. God's the same way. He loves his kids. And a father disciplines the son he loves. And the whole point of Hebrews chapter 12 is so that we can be trained to be holy and righteous. So he takes our disobedience, uses it as an opportunity to train us to be holy and righteous. Now let's pick it up. If you would with me, in Joshua chapter 7, verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. The whole night has passed. The rumor has gone out. God, Joshua is meeting with the children of Israel and he is going, God's going to expose the person. How do you think Achan was feeling through the night? I guarantee his stomach was aching. I guarantee it. I guarantee his spirit was aching through the night. And Joshua rose early. But God's allowing time. Take a look how much time. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by the tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Stop there, if you would, for just a moment. God is a long-suffering God. In Exodus chapter 34, when God is introducing himself to Moses, he says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering. He lets us know as the third part of his character, he's a long-suffering God. Do you know how much time this took? Imagine, if they followed the order of the book of Numbers, first Reuben had to come forward. They cast the lots. Okay, Reuben, it's not you. The next tribe that would come forward was Simeon. Cast the lots. Simeon, it's not you. The next tribe would be Gad, and they come forward. Gad, it's not you. Following the book of Numbers, the very next tribe would be Judah. And cast the lots. Oh, Judah, it's you. If I'm Achan you would think that Achan would say something at this point. Do you know how many fighting men were in the tribe of Judah? Number tells us. 74,600 fighting men. Imagine going person by person. It's not you. It's not you. Oh, it's this family. Oh, (laughs) great. And now it's it's this clan. And now it's this dad. And now it's you would think that Achan would shout out, it's me! And how many of us, the Spirit of God has been convicting of us of our sin? Reroute, 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 and we're still in it. We're still in it. We haven't forsaken it. And Achan, maybe he was thinking, well, God will have mercy on me. He's not going to expose me. I mean, he loves me so much. Well, don't confuse the long-suffering of God for a lackadaisical approach of sin. Don't don't confuse the long-suffering of God. Jesus, when he said, you're dealing with sin pluck your eye out, cut your arm off, radically amputate it. As soon as the Spirit of God convicts you, you've got to deal with it and take a look what Joshua does. Verse 19, he says to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. He's firm, but he's gentle. And he says, make confession. Now, I've underlined that in my Bible. Let me explain what he's saying. This word means praise or thanksgiving. And what he's saying is, I want you to praise God right now by showing the entire community that God is right and you are wrong. Make the confession. And Something unfortunate happens. Would you take a look as the Bible gives us a glimpse of what's going on in Achan's heart. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth, in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. Hey, Achan, I want you to make a confession. Take a look, if you would, at verse 20. Achan answered. And what the Bible is doing is giving us insight to Achan's heart. You see, confession is when we recognize we've wronged God. Admission is simply reporting the sin. I walked into a hospital room not so long ago, and a man was waking up from an alcoholic coma, and he says to me, I know, I'm an alcoholic. That's great. I'm glad you've admitted it. Are you willing to confess it? It's one thing to say, I know the sin. Now, what I want you to do right now is think about the sin that you're struggling with. I want you to think about it. Why did it come so quickly to your mind? Is it been that we've been admitting it for so long we've gotten used to it. I know I'm this. This is just who I am. And this is the constant excuse. This is what God has made me. I was doing a marital counseling with a wife and a husband. And the wife was loud and obnoxious. Literally, I mean, loud and obnoxious. And she said, she goes, this is just the way God made me. <laughs> I'm just loud. I'm just obnoxious. And I tell him what to do all the time. I immediately started praying for the husband. This is just the way God made me. And I said to her, that's not true. Because the Bible says that he's making you a gentle and quiet spirit. That's the way the world has made you. But God is making you somewhere else. You've just gotten used to you and you're blaming God. Achan admits and he's caught in his sin. So he doesn't have the opportunity to confess. Now there's just the opportunity for judgment. In fact, a greater judgment. He had all this time. You had 74,600 fighting men to wait in line. You had four tribes in front of you. You had a whole night To think about this. And God was trying to get your attention. He desires to give mercy. He delights to give mercy. Achan, confess your sin. He'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And take a look at Achan's progression of sin. I saw it. And when I saw the spoils, I love how Christians rename sin. It's not fornication. We're making love. It's not gossip we're sharing. I'm not worried, I'm concerned. And I love the way that we rename things. It's the spoils. No, it's the accursed, Achan. Just because you've given it a different name doesn't mean that that's right. And then he coveted it. I want it. Then he took it. And this is the part that blows my mind. He hid it. He didn't even get to enjoy it. Now, how many of you as Christians enjoy your sin? Like, you enjoy the conviction. You enjoy the feeling of like, I need a bath. Like, you, how many of you just, you enjoy the dirtiness of sin. Just go ahead and raise your hand if anyone in here enjoys it. How many of you would be willing to come up on stage and just do your little sin in front of everybody? Ready? Who would like to go first? None of us enjoy it because of the Spirit of God. So we hide it. He doesn't even get to wear the Babylonian garments to the children of Israel. He hides it, and he knows he can't wear it. So take a look what happens. So Joshua sends messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua, to all the children of Israel, laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters. Now, remember, the book of Deuteronomy says that no son or daughter can suffer the consequence of their father. So that means that these older kids were guilty. They knew what was going on. So the sons and the daughters, his oxen, his, onkeys, his donkeys... Onkis is a cross between something and something, I'm sure. His sheep, his onkis. His tent, the Lord said to Noah. Bring in your onki, onkis. Um, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him. With stones, they burned him with fi- them with fire. After they stoned them with stones, then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Did you hear that? They stoned him because there is a consequence to your sin. The Bible says the wages of sin. There's always a cost to sin. Then they burned him. They completely eradicated any trace of the sin in the camp. Pluck it out. Cut it off, Jesus says. And then they raised a memorial over them. Because God wants us to remember. He wants us to remember his word when temptation comes. So what do we learn from Joshua's life? I want you to see five things on the screen. Take a look. Number one five things on the screen that we're going to take out of this chapter to understand. The first is this, humbly take daily direction from God's word. It's called daily bread for a reason. Secondly, purpose to remain dependent through prayer. Don't be prideful. Don't be prayerless. Number three, settle the issue of the lordship of Jesus Christ from your mister and make him your master. When you say, oh, Lord, mean it. Confess your sin to God when you're convicted. Don't let the night pass. Don't let the tribes go before you. Don't continue to hear the warning and sense the beating of your heart. Confess it. He'll be faithful and just to forgive it and take a look. Don't confuse God for a lackadaisical when he is a long-suffering God. Don't confuse him of being lackadaisical with your sin like he doesn't care. He does. He's just long-suffering. Father, I come before you, and our hearts are heavy. Not simply because of what's happening in our world, because we see the impact of sin. Sin. Would you grant us the grace to deal with sin in our life? Do you remember that sin that I said, let it come to your mind? Would you stop for just a moment and deal with it? Maybe it's anger, maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's outbursts of wrath or jealousy or covetry. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a marriage that's broken and you know how to fix it. It's called humility. Confess it to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Achan was stoned in the valley of Acor. Acor is another word for trouble. The amazing thing about the valley of Acor is that God redeems it. Listen to this. I'll read it for you. It's Hosea chapter 2 verse 5. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. Excuse me. Hosea chapter 2 verse 6. And I will turn the valley of Achor into a door of hope. This is the wrong verse, sorry about that. I'll turn the valley of Achor into the door of hope. Isaiah 65 to 10, Sharon shall be a fold of flocks and the valley of Acor a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. Here's what God does. He takes the valley of Acre, the trouble of your sin, and he turns it into a door of hope at confession. Deal with your sin. Because I can't bring peace to the world. Only God can. And God will bring peace to you no matter what's going on in the world if you deal with your sin tonight. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.